Today we are celebrating Pentecost Sunday. It is the day that is set aside in the calendar, the Christian calendar, for us to remember the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. In other words, it is the birthday of the church. Christmas means that God is with us. Easter means that God is for us. But Pentecost means that God is in us. Christmas means that God is with us. Easter means God is for us. Pentecost means God is in us. We are called Pentecostals because we believe in the experience of Acts chapter 2. And we believe that that experience is still available to all those who would seek for it and call upon it. Do you know, my friends, that there are over 600 million Pentecostals and Charismatics in the world? It is one of the fastest growing movements in Christianity. It is so big that historians tell us that it ranks number two right under the Roman Catholic Church. There are 600 million Pentecostals and Charismatics worldwide. It is one of the fastest growing movements within Christendom. It ranks number two right below the Roman Catholic Church. Today, Pentecostals are no longer considered backwoods. You know, when I was growing up, Pentecostals were considered ignorant, redneck, backwoods, ignorant, uneducated, etc. But that's not the story nowadays, folks. Pentecostals are now considered a mainline church. And some of the world's largest churches are now considered Pentecostals. Pentecostals were one of the very first movements in the world to ordain women into the ministry. The Assemblies of God is one of the biggest Pentecostal movements in the world. And it is estimated that they send more missionaries around the world than any other denomination. The world's largest church, which used to be pastored by Young E. Cho, used to be the Assemblies of God church. It later withdrew its membership, but is still considered Pentecostal. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of people flock to the church every Sunday. It's the world's largest church. At one time, its membership was over a million people who attended the church. It was used to said that you had to get a ticket to attend a church service on Sunday. Can you imagine that? In Latin America, Pentecostals are growing at such a fast rate that the Catholic Church now is forced to make decisions. They are forced to change some of their practices because they're losing their members to Pentecostal churches. You see, the Pentecostal church is rapidly growing. When Pope John Paul was alive, and when he was the vicar of the Roman Catholic Church, he put his stamp of approval upon the charismatic and Pentecostal church because it had infiltrated the Roman Catholic Church so much that he put his blessing upon it. Latin America now is swamped with charismatic Pentecostals who not only attend a Catholic Mass, but also attend a Pentecostal worship service. 
because it is growing at a fast rate. You see, it's an understatement to say that the Pentecostal movement is a is is one of the biggest movements in the world. It's growing very fastly. It's a, very alarming. My my doctorate was uh, my uh, my dissertation was written on the Book of Acts how the Pentecostal movement was spreading across the world. And I remember a few years ago when I was writing my dissertation, how much I was surprised at seeing the fast rate of growth in the Pentecostal church. It is primarily growing at a very fast rate in the African nations and Latin America nation. Here in America, Pentecostalism has uh, somewhat had plateaued. But that does not speak for the global church. It is actually growing in other parts of the world. I want you to think about the Pentecostal movement for just a few moments this morning. In the book of Acts chapter number two, the Bible, or Acts chapter number one, excuse me, the Bible says there was 112 disciples in the upper room. The scripture indicates to us that they were praying. And then Acts chapter number two, the spirit descended upon the church. And the Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says they went from that place and they preached the gospel around the world and every continent and the world was transformed because of 120 disciples were transformed by the power of the Holy Ghost. I want to just tell you a few things this morning. Can you just imagine the growth of the Pentecostal church? 2,000 years ago, there was 120 disciples. But now there are 600 million Pentecostals. I don't know about you, church, but that they grew very fast in 2,000 years. 2,000 years, it started with 120, but now there are over 600 million Pentecostals that still believe in the experience of Acts chapter number 2. And if we really want to push the envelope, there are 2.3 billion Christians in the world. That is one-third of the population. I want to let you know today that He is coming back for more than what He left over 2,000 years ago. The church of Jesus Christ is alive. The church of Jesus Christ is well, the church of Jesus Christ is not sick. The church of Jesus Christ is not slow. The church of Jesus Christ is not lukewarm. The church of Jesus Christ is not barely making it. The church of Jesus Christ is alive and well, is strong, and is vibrant, and is reaching every continent around the world. Jesus said to Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It doesn't matter what people say about the church. It doesn't matter if they take your church. It doesn't matter what they say about you. I'm telling you the church of Jesus Christ cannot be bought. It cannot be sold. It cannot be done away with. You can leave the church. You can talk about the church. You can slander the church. But I promise you the church will be here to preach your funeral when you die. The church is strong and alive. It amazes me that we think that because we leave the church, it's going to hurt the church. The church has been through a lot. And it's still alive and well and vibrant. I would argue today that the Pentecostal church is the fastest growing movement around the world. And even though the church is impressive in its numbers, even though the church is very impactful around the world in the seven continents. I want you to know that just because it's an impressive doesn't mean that people understand everything about the doctrine 
of Pentecostalism. I would argue that some people attend a Pentecostal church because they love the music. They love the lights. The preacher is very passionate. And the church service is high energy. Some people like that. I would argue that some people attend a Pentecostal church because they have experienced some sort of supernatural experience and they still have questions over it. We can never assume that everybody just understands everything. Assumptions will make us, will get us in trouble every time. Even though the Pentecostal church is big and impressive and making a great impact throughout the world and thousands of people flock their churches every week, that doesn't mean everybody understands the doctrine of the Pentecostal church. The doctrine of the Pentecostal church is fourfold. It's called the four cardinal doctrines of Pentecostalism. You have heard, you have heard them before, and I want to remind you. The cardinal doctrines of Pentecostals is this. Number one, that Christ is the Savior. He is the only way to heaven, and without Him you cannot be saved. Number two, Christ is the baptizer of the Holy Ghost. That means there is another experience outside of salvation, and Jesus is the baptizer. The third cardinal doctrine of the Pentecostal church is that Christ is the healer. That not only did His atonement take care of the sins of humanity, but we believe that His atonement did take care of the sins and the physical ailments of the human body. We believe that Jesus does heal today. Can I hear an amen? And number four, the fourth cardinal doctrine of the Pentecostal movement is that Jesus shall return. He will come again. These are the main doctrines of the Pentecostal church that we hold true to, that we preach, and that we believe. Today, that second doctrine, that Christ is the baptizer of the Holy Ghost, there's questions about that. We don't have a problem that Jesus saves or Jesus heals. And we don't have a problem that Jesus will come again. But sometimes we have questions about this baptism of the Holy Spirit or this supernatural experience or this experience that sometimes we can't explain in human language. Yes, there are people that still nervous about the Pentecostal experience. People are still nervous about it. When they hear people speak in tongues or when they see people fall on the floor or when they see people pray real loud or they lay hands upon people, sometimes people are uncomfortable with that or they don't know what to think about that. Maybe it's because they don't understand or they don't have enough biblical theology behind the practices of the Pentecostal church. Some people are not sure what to think about those manifestations. Some people think less than, I didn't receive it, so does that mean God don't love me? Or, I didn't fall on the floor, does that mean that I didn't receive it? You see, sometimes there's misconceptions about the practices of the Pentecostal church. Let me say this and let me say it loud and clear, that just because you fall on the floor, or just because you speak in another language, does not mean that you are spiritually mature. Can somebody say amen? You can be operating in the gifts of the Spirit, but that doesn't mean you are operating in the fruits of the Spirit. I have seen people speak in tongues and fall on the floor and cuss people out in the church parking lot and be rude to the waiter. If you are really filled with the Holy Spirit, it's going to tell you how to live in the parking lot of this church and at the restaurant when you leave this church. Some of us are speaking in tongues, but we're still lying in English. 
Some of us are speaking in tongues, but yet it's not converted to any other area. I don't care how straight you fall on the floor. I care about how straight you walk when you get up off of the floor. And there's a difference between the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit is free. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's the third person of the Godhead. And according to the book of 1 Corinthians, He has gifts. Primarily, there's none of them, but there's others. He has gifts. The Holy Spirit is a person. He has gifts. They're free. And He wants to give them to you. But just because you have a gift that's found in the Holy Spirit doesn't make you a mature Christian. Some people have been raised in it. Some people haven't been raised in it. And some of these practices are strange to them. When they hear somebody speak in tongues, when they see people pray loud, when they see people fall on the floor, it's strange to them. They don't know what to think about it. But let me just remind you something, that just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it's not beneficial. Just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it's not true. Just because you can't articulate it doesn't mean there's no benefit to it. Some of the greatest things in life I don't understand, but I know it's true. How many knows calculus is true and algebra is true? I may not understand everything about it, but I know it's true. The formula is right. And there's just because you don't understand everything doesn't mean it's not true and doesn't mean there's not beneficial value to it. Let me just say this so that you feel relaxed this morning. That the Holy Spirit... The Father will not give you something that's of the devil. He will not give you something that will hurt you. The Lord will never give you something that will harm you. So if you are a Bible-believing Christian, I'm not saying perfect, but if you are a Christian who loves Jesus and you confess Jesus as Savior and Lord and you are living for Jesus to the best of your ability, the Lord will not give you something that will hurt you or harm you. So you need to be at peace with that. You see, Jesus said this in Luke chapter number 11 and verse number 13. Listen to the words of Jesus. Luke chapter 11 and verse number 13. Jesus said this, and I quote, If you then be an evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? In other words, Jesus said, You are evil. And you know how to give good, good things to your children. If I am perfect and I'm a good father, then I will always give you what is good and beneficial to your life. Listen to me, church. The Lord will only give you, He will only give to you what is beneficial. He will only give to you what is helpful. He will only give to you what will cause you to grow in your life. So be at ease. Take, take the anxiety out. The Holy Spirit is only given to those who seek Him. You see, the Lord will give you only give you something that will help you and not hurt you. Let me say this. Some of the manifestations that you see in church, the falling out, the speaking in tongues, the crying, some people raise their voices, some people even run because they get excited. You see, emotions are not bad, but uncontrolled emotions can be bad. The Scripture says that we should do everything decently and in order. That means everything that we do in this church service should edify one another and it should edify us. 
That is why when we speak in tongues in a church service over the microphone, when it's public, then we should seek for an interpretation so that the whole body is edified. That doesn't mean you can't speak in tongues at your seat, but when we take a microphone and make it public, we should seek for an interpretation so that the body of Jesus Christ is edified. Can I hear an amen? You see, some of the manifestations we don't understand. Sometimes, sometimes people don't understand those manifestations. Sometimes it's because they wasn't raised in it. Maybe they don't have enough biblical training. Maybe, maybe they haven't, maybe they haven't disciplined themselves to study about it. They have the experience, but they don't know how to articulate it. You see, I know for a fact that here in America, Pentecostal churches, that consists of the Assemblies of God, the Pentecostal Church of God, the Four Square Movement, the Apostolic Movement. You see, all of those are under the umbrella of Pentecostalism. There is another sect of Pentecostalism, which is called Oneness Pentecostals, and they reject the Trinity. I am not referring to that group of people. We, we, don't, we, we do not believe the way they believe. I'm talking about the general practices of the Pentecostal Church, which believes that Jesus Christ is the way. We believe that the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, three distinct persons, but they are co-equal, co-eternal, and, and, uh, and, and, and co-equal and co-eternal together. You see, one God who expresses himself in three distinct persons. We are a Trinitarian Pentecostal movement. You see, sometimes we don't understand all of this, and sometimes we can get confused because we haven't disciplined ourselves to study it, or we just plainly just don't understand it. But that's okay. That's why you're here. And as a pastor, as your pastor, it is my responsibility that I teach you the Word of God. Because the Apostle Paul said this to the church, I have not declared, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I want to let you know something today, ladies and gentlemen. There is more in the Bible than the devil. There is more in the Bible than blessings. There is more in the Bible than houses and cars and this and that. There's more in the Bible than that. There's 1,066 pages in the Bible, and the Bible is filled with theology. The Bible is filled with a, with nurturing Word of God that if we just put ourselves in it and read it and study it, it has the potential to change your life. And that is why I'm asking you to read the Bible, because the Bible can change your life. It can change your life. It has the potential to change your life. You see, overseas, the Pentecostal church is growing. But here in America, it's plateaued. Why has it plateaued in America? Because the Pentecostal church is very cautious. We don't want to offend people. In America, we have become more seeker-sensitive than spirit-sensitive. That is not the theology in overseas. Overseas, they are more spirit-sensitive than seeker-sensitive. But in America, we are more seeker-sensitive than spirit-sensitive. We don't want to offend anybody. And I would say this, that our theology is more American than it is Bible. In America, we got to vote on everything. So in the church, we got to vote on everything. In America, everybody has a right and everybody has a voice. And in the church, everybody wants a voice and everybody wants a right. Let me tell you something. We are separate from the world. We are separate from the union of the United States of America. This is a church. This is a community. This is a people within a people, a nation within a nation, a community within a community. We are ecclesia. We are called out from the world. We are different. We're different. 
We, we, we conduct business differently. We have a different theology. Well, I am more concerned about theology than I am your theatrics. Can somebody just help me preach this morning? I'm more concerned about theology than I am theatrics. Some of us can hoop and holler, but can you defend the Trinity? We can hoop and holler and fall on the floor and speak in tongues, but can you lead somebody to Jesus? You can hoop and holler and speak in tongues, but have you invited somebody to church? We can hoop and holler and have all the gifts, but are you operating in the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace and long-suffering? Because there's more to the Holy Spirit than just speaking in tongues. There's more to the Holy Spirit than falling on the floor. There's more to the Holy Spirit than just bucking and shouting. The Holy Spirit is a person and He desires to invade your life where you look like a little Jesus to the world. You see, what does it mean to be Pentecostal? It means that we know Jesus in a personal way. If somebody says, what does it mean to be a Pentecostal? It means that I know Jesus in a personal, living way. An intimate way. It's just not about liturgy, creeds, and councils of churches. But that I come in communion with a living Jesus. That's what it means to be a Pentecostal. That I have a personal relationship with Jesus. Number two, it means that I'm empowered by His Spirit to live a life that is faithful and fruitful. That's what it means to be a Pentecostal. It means that I operate in the gifts of the Spirit so that I could benefit the church and, up and edify the church. Not just to edify myself, but to edify the church. The, 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 the word of knowledge is to edify the church, not myself. The gifts of healing is to edify the church, not myself. That I operate in the gifts of the Spirit so that I edify the church. And we live in a day and culture where people want to take their gifts and edify themselves and build their own ministries. But the gifts of the Spirit is to edify the church, not you. What does it mean to be a Pentecostal? It means that I have a relationship with Jesus that is living in movement. That I have a relationship with Jesus that's intimate. That I know Jesus in a personal way. That I'm empowered by His Spirit to live a life that is faithful and fruitful. That I'm operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit to edify His church. And that I share the message of Jesus to the world. That the Spirit of God that lives on the inside of me has empowered me to share the gospel with my co-workers. That has empowered me to share the gospel with others people. And that's why I'm asking you my fourfold challenge. Each one reach one. I'm asking you to reach somebody for Jesus. You're going to get tired of me saying this every week. But I am asking you to get up off of that seat and quit sitting in that seat. Sit sour and soaking. Get up off of that seat and tell somebody about Jesus. The Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost has not called you to sit on a pew. Because the moment you sit on a pew, you're going to become pew. He's not called you to sit. Anything that sits sours. If you let milk sit out, it's going to sour. If you let meat sit out, it's going to sour. Anything that just sits, it's going to sour. And ladies and gentlemen, we're not called to be a part of a souring church. We're called to be a church that's full of the power and the anointing as a sweet aroma to the Lord. I'm talking about sharing the message of Jesus to the world. This same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, it lives in you. And if it lives in you, we should share it to the world. The Holy Spirit's going to lay somebody on your heart to tell somebody about Jesus. 
You listen, they might reject it, but invite, keep inviting somebody. Don't give up so easily. Don't be so passive about your testimony. Don't be so passive about the message of Christ. Jesus wasn't passive about you. Let's win the world for Jesus. Let's win our city for Jesus. You see, I'm telling you today, church, that being a Pentecostal means this. Some people come to Jesus, come to church to learn about Jesus. And some people come to church to experience Jesus. Some churches this morning have went there, people went to church to learn about Jesus. All it is is a sermon. Some churches go and they partake of sacraments. But the essence of Christianity is threefold. It is sacramental. It is Pentecostal. And it is evangelical. Evangelical. The Pentecostal church is the word church. It preaches the word. The Pentecostal church is a spirit-filled church. It's empowered by the spirit. And it is also a sacramental church. We believe in baptism of water and the communion, the elements of bread and juice. When all of them working together, it makes up what we call church order. You see, what does it mean to be a Pentecostal? It means that Jesus, I've experienced Jesus in a living way. Jesus is real to me. I'm empowered by His Spirit to live a fruitful and faithful life. That I use the gifts of the Spirit to build up the church. I share the message of the Gospel to the world. You know what it means to be a Pentecostal? It means that we believe that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It means that if Jesus healed then, Jesus can heal now. If Jesus raised the dead then, Jesus can raise the dead now. If Jesus did miracles back then, then I believe He can do it now. That we just don't come to church just to learn about Jesus, but we can also come to church to experience Him. Because this religion is a head thing, and it is also a heart thing. I believe that we can learn, but we also can learn about what He can do, and then we can experience what He can do. I read in the Bible that He's a healer. I know it intellectually, but I can also experience it experientially. I read in the Bible how He can save people, but I also experience that He saved me. Are y'all hearing me today? I read how He can heal people in the New Testament, but I also see today where He can also heal those who are sick today. That's what it means to be a Pentecostal. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Is there anybody in this building that still believes that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Oh, hallelujah. I said, is there anybody that still believes that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever? That if He did it back then, bless God, I believe He can do it today again. Woo! I'm not talking about a dead religion. I'm not talking about being baptized sitting under a steeple. I'm telling we got some dead saints baptized in water sitting under a steeple singing about a dead religion, about a dead man. He ain't no dead man. This ain't no dead religion. This is a gospel of Jesus Christ. It is living and powerful and moving. I'm telling you, it can, it can touch you and shoot at the bottom of your feet, my friend. I'm telling you, this gospel is alive and well. Hallelujah. Some of us come to church and we look like we've been kissing our mother-in-law all week and sucking on a pickle and you're mad. Listen, keep your attitude at your house because this ain't your house. This is God's house and come to God's house. What would you think if I come up in your house with a bad attitude? You tell me to leave. You see, 
You are a walking message system. You need to come to church to edify people. Is your attitude edifying somebody? Is your words edifying somebody? Is it building somebody up? It means I'm learning how to do ministry even while I'm miserable. That's what it means to live a sacrificial life. That sometimes my love has to benefit others at the expense of myself. So it's not about me. It's not about my preferences. It's not about what I want. Some of us are hurting on the inside. I get it. I get it. I sympathize with you. There are some Sundays I stand up here and my heart is broken in a million pieces, but you'll never know it because before I ever walked up here and took this microphone, I had a talk with God Almighty and the Spirit of God revived me on the inside and I realized that you're not my peace and you're not my security and you're not my joy and you're not my paycheck. He is my everything. Hallelujah. Can somebody bless the Lord today? Hallelujah. It's not a dead religion. You can know about God, but you can experience Him. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, the writer of the book of Matthew said this, and I quote, And Jesus went about Galilee teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Do you see two things? He preached... And the people experienced. He preached and the people experienced. They knew, they heard the mind, they heard, but they experienced in their heart. There was miracles because this is not only a head religion, it is a heart religion. He preached and then miracles. The supernatural connected to the word. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse number 5, and I quote, the Apostle Paul said this way, for our gospel did not come to you in word only. Did you hear this preacher? Our gospel did not come to you in word only. Our gospel did not come to you just by preaching only, but also in power. Can somebody help this preacher preach? But also in power. For our gospel did not come in word only, but it came in what? Power. And in the Holy Spirit and much assurance, as you know what kind of men who were among you for your sake. He said the gospel is not only just preaching. That's what we have today in churches. We preach for an hour and a half because ain't no more power anymore. Ain't no more power no more. No more power. Ain't no more. We're preaching to dead people and a six foot icicle roaming around the pulpit, preaching to a bunch of dead people, preaching a dead sermonette to dead sermonettes. Come on, somebody. But I'm tired of dead sermons. I'm tired of dead sermonettes. I refuse to be. a. I was told when I was 13 years old, Bishop, by my bishop, when I was 13 years old, I was praying in the spirit and fell out. You know what the bishop told me? He said, son, when you get my age, he was already 80 years old. He said, when you get my age, son, you're going to burn out. You ain't going to be that excited anymore. But I want to let you know I'm 41 years old and I still never lost the fire. I still got the fire. And I want to let y'all know when I get to be 80, I'm still going to have the fire. You know why I'm going to have the fire? Because you didn't give the fire to me. You didn't give it and you can't take it away. Is there anybody in this building today that says I don't want to preach to a dead church, a dead sermonette. I want the power of the Holy Ghost to revive me again. Oh, hallelujah. I'm so sick of dead churches. Sometimes I get sick preaching here. Preaching to the same people that just look at you as they pick their toenails. And they look around the line. My God, help me. I'm going to explode. I just wish somebody's soul would catch on fire once in a while. 
How many times does a preacher have to break a sweat to tell us to worship God? And we sit there and worship like this. This is this. I stand up here and watch people. No wonder Pastor Sean has to take a Xanax to lead worship because you get so discouraged. I'm preaching, y'all. Y'all hearing me? If you can't worship God once a week, what kind of Jesus do you have? If you can't raise your hands once a week, if you can't give God all you have once a week, then what kind of Jesus do you really have? You say, well, preacher, I'm not about lifting my hands and doing all that. But it, just act like you're, you're excited to be here. And let's not look, look around the phone and get on Facebook and look at the sky and count how many lights it is and up and down. and look at, It's no wonder the Bible says in the book of Mark chapter 4, the enemy comes to take away the word that was sown in the heart. It's exactly what the devil does. He takes it away. It's impossible. It's impossible to have a living, vibrant prayer life and come to church and not give God anything. It's impossible. It's impossible. It is impossible to have a living, breathing relationship with Jesus Christ and not be moved to give God one ounce of worship. Sorry. It's not the Bible I read. You see, it's a, it's, a, it's a head thing. It's a heart thing. It's a head thing. Heart thing. You say, preacher, I don't want to act like you. don't have to act like me. Just don't sleep in the church service. Get off Facebook. Come on, somebody. Act like you're engaged. If I come to your house and you're sitting there with your shoulders slouched and you're looking around, I would get offended because it make you, make you look like you don't want to be at my house. Let's act like we're at least engaged in the presence of Almighty God. When I was growing up, my grandma would say in church, straighten up, Josh, straighten up. Set up straight, set up straight, set up straight. Put, put the pen away, set up straight. You know Why? Because I'm a walking message system. Everything I do sends a message. You see, Philip Jenkins, in closing, wrote a book called The Last Christendom. He states that the Holy Spirit is the Cinderella of the 21st century. Philip Jenkins said in his book that the Holy Spirit is the Cinderella of the 21st century. In the fictional story, Cinderella was ignored throughout the whole story. Even though she was present in the story, her beauty wasn't exemplified until the end of the story. She was ignored in the story. Her stepsisters went to the ball before her. They got all the attention of their, of their own mother while they pushed aside Cinderella. She felt rejected by her step-siblings and her stepmother. She felt rejected by the very people that said that they would love her. She was always present in the story. She was always beautiful in the story. But she was never exemplified until the end of the story. Philip Jenkins said in his book that that's how the Holy Spirit is. For centuries, the Holy Spirit has been ignored. For centuries, the Holy Spirit's been overlooked. 
The nature of Jesus has been discussed in the early councils of the church. The relationship of Jesus to the Father and the Father to Jesus. Church creeds and councils have talked about the relationship of the Holy Spirit to Jesus or the Father to Jesus. But very little work has been done on the Holy Spirit. Even the creed that you said this morning, the shortest part of the creed was the Holy Spirit. Because throughout the centuries, the Holy Spirit has been ignored. They have looked at the Holy Spirit as some sort of mystical being. They've looked at the Holy Spirit as some sort of something that they could not understand. Or they were afraid to understand the Holy Spirit. But Philip Jenkins said that the Holy Spirit is the Cinderella of the 21st century. In other words, the beauty of the Holy Spirit will be exemplified. And isn't that what happened in the turn of the century? That's exactly what happened. In the turn of the century in 1906 in Los Angeles on a street called Azusa Street, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon some folks. And the, the history tells us that these people would sit for hours in silence, in hours as they prayed, and the Spirit would come and there was manifestations like falling out, speaking in other languages, running, people falling into a trance. There was other people that said that they had to carry them out of the building because they couldn't even walk because they were so overcome by the Holy Spirit. This revival in Azusa Street lasted for five years. Multitudes of millions of people were touched by that revival in 1906. From that very place in Los Angeles, those people left that Azusa Street, that little mission on that street. They left that church building and they went throughout the world preaching the gospel. Amy Simple McPherson is the founder of the Foursquare Movement. She was influenced by that revival. It was from that very place that men and women were touched. William Seymour was touched. Charles Parham left Galena, Kansas after he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit at his school and came here to Galena and preached a revival and thousands of people were baptized in the Holy Ghost and a movement called the Apostolic Movement was founded here at Baxter Springs. He left here and went to Azusa Street and participated in the revival of 1906. Ladies and gentlemen, it was the turn of the century and the Holy Spirit said, I have been ignored for centuries. For centuries you have ignored my power. For centuries you have ignored my beauty. For centuries you have ignored my personhood. But in 1906 the Holy Spirit came out and like Cinderella of the story and all of His beauty. And I'm telling you today, Today, ever since 1906, the world has never been the same because the Holy Spirit is the Cinderella of the 24th, 21st century. He is the Cinderella of the 24th, 21st century. The promise of the Spirit. Acts chapter 1. Go wait for the promise of the Father. The Bible says in John chapter 20, verse 22. John chapter 20, verse 22. Listen, right before Jesus went to heaven, He said to His disciples, He breathed on them. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. But hold on. In Acts chapter number 1, the Bible says this. Now that's in John right before Jesus goes to heaven, He says, receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them. And then the next book, which is the book of Acts, the Bible says this, Acts chapter number 1. Acts chapter number 1. 
And I want you to see what happens here. Acts chapter number 1, verse number 4. The Bible says, And being assembled together, He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. He said, Which you have heard of Me, but John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not too many days from now. Hold on. I thought John chapter 20, they had already received the Holy Spirit. John 20, 22, He received the Holy Spirit. Then in the book of Acts, right before He goes to heaven, He says, I need y'all to come up here and wait in this room for the Holy Spirit. I thought they had already received it in John chapter 20. They did. Because when you become a Christian, you get the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. So if you are a Baptist and a Methodist and a Catholic and a Presbyterian, you love Jesus, the Holy Spirit is inside of you. But there is another experience. Because he said in the book of Acts, go and wait for the promise of the Father. Go wait for it. Wait for what? I thought I already got it. Jesus is saying there's more. And when they went to wait on the, in the upper room, the Holy Spirit came and filled them. Let me tell you something. There is more than just come to church. There's more than just getting saved. There is another experience. There is another experience. Have you ever heard of John 3.16? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That's salvation. But the other experience is Luke chapter 3, verse 16. Luke 3, 16. And Jesus said to them, I indeed baptize you with water, but one is mightier that is coming is out after is, is coming, whose sandal straps I'm not worthy to loose, for he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John 3.16 is salvation, but Luke 3.16 is the Holy Ghost. There is more than just getting saved. There is more than just coming to church. Jesus said there is a promise, which is called the promise of the Father. And I want to immerse you in the Holy Spirit. What is the purpose of it? The purpose of it is not just to speak in tongues, but the purpose of it is for you to be a witness because that's what fire does. When fire gets on top of you, you got to move. And Jesus said when you get the Holy Ghost, I want you to go out and tell the world. Leviticus chapter 2. The Bible says, get this, when everyone offers a grain offering to the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour. Get this. He shall pour oil on it and put the frankincense on it. He shall bring it to Aaron's sons and the priests of whom shall take it from his handful of fine flour and oil with the oil of the frankincense, and the priest shall burn it as a memorial on the altar, and the offering made by fire is sweet aroma to the Lord. Verse 3. The rest of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons and his most holy unto the Lord. Verse 4. When you bring the offering of the grain offering baked in the oven, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed. Go back to verse 4. Mixed with oil. So the flour has what? Oil in it. The cake has oil in it. And unleavened wafers anointed with oil. So everybody say oil inside. Now go on with verse number 6. Then all continue with verse, go back to Leviticus please. 
But your offering is a grain offering baked in a pan. It shall be fine flour, unleavened, mixed with oil. Verse 6. And ye shall break it in pieces and pour There's oil, and there's oil, there's oil, there's oil, there's oil, there's oil. I'm saved. There's oil in me. But there's another experience where the oil comes on you. There's oil in me, and there's oil on me. Is there anybody in the building that says, Pastor, I need a little bit of oil on side of me. I need a little bit of oil inside of me. I need a little bit of oil on top of me. Now, what does this have to do with ordination? Because the Bible says in the book of Numbers chapter 11, and the Bible says in the book of Deuteronomy, that the Bible says that Moses would lay hands upon them and anoint them, and the Spirit would come upon them. The Bible says in Numbers chapter 11 that Moses said, I wish they would all prophesy. In other words, Moses would lay hands upon the elders and they would begin to prophesy by the Spirit. He ordained them. Moses ordained his succession by the Holy Spirit. Because you cannot really be ordained into the ministry unless the Holy Spirit ordains you. Unless the Holy Spirit puts His hand upon you. And I want to let you know today we need some more Pentecostal pastors. We need some more preachers of Pentecost. I'm telling you we need some preachers that's not ashamed to preach the message of Holy Ghost and fire. We need more preachers who will stand up in the face of modern age and declare that there's more to Jesus than just coming to church. There's more to Jesus. Is there anybody in here? I said, is there anybody in here? Would you stand to your feet and say, Pastor, I want more of the Holy Ghost. Come on. Is there anybody that say, Pastor, I want more of the Holy Spirit. Is there anybody in here that says, Pastor, I want more of the Holy... Come on. Is there anybody in here? Hallelujah. I don't want hype. I want holiness. I don't want my rights. I want righteousness. I don't want performance. I want power. I don't want some trends. I want holiness. Is there anybody that can raise your hand and say, baptize me in the Holy Ghost again? I need some power today. I want some power over sickness, power over disease, power over demons, power over mental illness, power over depression, power over poverty, power over lukewarmness, power over cancer, Power over heart disease. Power over lack. Power over... I need power. Hallelujah. And I'm telling you today that Pastor Brandon has accepted the call to ordination. And today, the Spirit of God has been anointing people for 2,000 years because he believes that he's going to raise up some Pentecostal pastors who will preach the Pentecostal message. Pastor Brandon, it's not by accident that on this Pentecostal Sunday that you're being anointed as a minister and ordained as a minister of the Gospel. Because the oil is in you. And the oil is upon you. But when the bishop lays hands upon you, he will also anoint you with oil because we believe that the Spirit just doesn't fill us one time, but there's multiple feelings of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is drawing people into the ministry. And today, God has called Him and anointed Him 
for the ministry. And the Spirit, the Spirit is going to be imparted to Him by the laying on of hands. Would you give the Lord a great big hand clap of appreciation?